You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is Nadine Artemis. Nadine is the author of two books. The first one is Renegade Beauty, Reveal and Revive Your Natural Radiance, and the other is Holistic Dental Care, The Complete Guide to Healthy Teeth and Gums. She is currently the creator of Living Libations, which is a luxury line of organic, wild-crafted, non-GMO serums, elixirs, and essential oils for those seeking the purest of the pure botanical, natural health, and beauty products on the planet. It was a fascinating conversation as she opened up my mind and welcomed me into her world. Um, she is what's called an aromacologist, which is somebody that develops immune-enhanced formulas uh, and medicinal blends for health and wellness. Her creations, along with her concept of renegade beauty, encourage effortlessness and inspire people to rethink conventional notions of beauty and wellness. Her work has been reviewed worldwide by various periodicals, including Hollywood Reporter, the Los Angeles Times, New York Magazine, People Magazine, Elle Magazine, Yoga Journal, Natural Health, the New York Times, and the National Post, to name a few. She has been, uh, she has celebrity fans, including Shailene Woodley, Carrie Ann Moss, Mar- uh, Mandy Moore, and many others. Alanis Morissette describes her as a true sense visionary. So lots of people have gone into Nadine's world and found the beauty and the magic within it. And again, it was purely my honor to have her on the program. So let's get into it. Here I am with Nadine Artemis. I am here with Nadine Artemis. How are you, Nadine? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. As I mentioned in our pre-call, um, you came highly recommended with uh, a lot of passion and excitement. So I'm um, interested to get into your world and better understand it and see how you're making a dent in the universe. So welcome <laughs> to the call. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I... Uh, took a look at your site and I'm fascinated by it. Uh, it's not uh, full transparency. It's not my world. And so I'm wanting to better understand your view of things and how you got into it and, and how you're, you know, impacting others with it. So I'd love to hear mm-hmm. a little bit about your story. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like, I'm always like, where should I begin? Cause it, <laughs> cause I really do. I really see with hindsight, like how much uh, I was really honing onto this path. Uh, since childhood, you know, just by luckily I was uh, got to live in a lot of nature, you know, got to go to camp. We had a cottage. We had all these grandparents that lived in the woods. I had like four sets of grandparents and they all lived in the woods. Um, so I really had a lot of passion for nature and the patterns and the mud and mixing things. And then in home, at home, I would, you know, take my mom's beautiful cosmetics, the high-end ones, and mix it with the stuff under the sink with the skull and crossbones and so I, I had that, but then I got a little more refined. You know, I started mi- mixing like um, to make like white lipstick. I'd crush like eyeshadow and mix it with my Crabtree and Evelyn lip balm and do all kinds of things like that. But then luckily in grade nine, I was able to do, you know, kind of freestyle science fair project. And I found this really cool book in the library that went into the history of perfumes. And I really love perfumes back then. Again, I didn't realize the difference then between natural and synthetic. But what the book gave me was this grain of knowledge and this history of perfumes that wasn't really known back then. I mean, obviously it was known, but it wasn't like we weren't in an information age like we are in this moment. And so it really hooked it back up to ancient Egypt and that they were all distilled from plants, pressed from flowers, tinctured trees, you know, sap. 
um, so it was this gorgeous thing. And then even how they would mix like uh, these distillates with wine and then drink that. And then the, the, sh um, the medicine men, like the priests of ancient Egypt were also the perfumers. And so there was this real melding and opening up and talking about it, you could, you can remake perfume using these things called essential oils and that you could find them probably at a health food store. So we drove to the big city to Toronto and, and that's when I had my first whiff of things like orange, ylang, lemongrass, and it was really neat and definitely just, I don't know all that it brought me, but it was definitely filling up my mind in a way that the perfumes weren't like in this whole other, there was layers and nuances. So I recreated a perfume called Lair de Tant and did really well. And that was really fun. And then, you know, um, the body shop came around and we thought it was green. And so I was into all that. Um, then I got to university and um, exploring different areas of study. But what was really neat at that time, I was actually skipping school and um, saw Lisa Binet on TV talking about the interconnection between food and diet and the environment and health. And that was really radical. I, we had no, you know, talking about, you know, raising a cow and how much water it took wasn't, was really new back then. So it just was like, wow. And, and then also at that moment, I was living away from home. So it was about making my own food too. And I walked by this health food store every day. So it didn't take long before I really got the whole food thing. And I never ate processed food again. I always started eating organic. And then I really understood the structure of the supermarket and what went into a label and secondary ingredients. Like I really was getting that and that the, the, the cereal that you thought was the healthy kind, the whole wheat, like was just filled with like, I can't remember, but you know, felt like it was akin to cardboard basically as a legitimate ingredient. Mm. And then within this month, it was a really powerful month. And I, I, then I was like, oh my God, what am I putting on my body? And then it was just like, oh, just seeing that the body shop stuff was all this like just petroleum, you know, that there was no peach in the fuzzy peach. The doodab wasn't a, I mean, dewberry wasn't actually a berry and there was no pineapple or cucumber and stuff. So then I just started making all of my own cosmetics and lip balms and perfumes and I'd make a lot of, I had a lot of friends that were waitressing going through university so I made like waitress legs that took care of spider veins and that was like fully like popping as I was studying mm -hmm. and then I started studying um, I was in women's studies and then we were like doing our bodies ourselves like our textbooks were about you know like the dangers of IUD or birth control or the bizarre medical history that women have had in western culture which I think is hooked up to what we've been, you know, through marketing of insecurity, what we've been putting on our bodies and that kind of stuff. So it was really all melding quite nicely. Um, but I just had to find more raw materials, like, you know, because it's like I would read about exotic things or recipes from ancient Egypt where they were like mixing blue lotus and angelica and things. And I was like, I need to smell these things. So I really started scouring the earth and finding distillers of all this beautiful palette of essential oils and other raw materials. And then that opened up a whole new world because then I was smelling things that the quality was just mind blowing. Yeah. Like for just tea tree and lavender, they were, these were distillations that were worlds apart. And then you understand really what's available on a common level with essential oils has traditionally been adulterated in some level. So then I started importing essential oils while I was going through university and making things. And then, you know, long story short, Six months after I graduated, I opened up North America's first full concept aromatherapy store when I was 22. And that was really awesome. We opened up in Toronto and uh, 
rolled with that and what, you know. what constitutes a, a full aromatherapy yeah for? what is that even? that's I mean, a fun I have question an idea of what that yeah. means but what is that well of course it's my you know it was my own concept of what constitutes a, a full aroma, but it never existed and it doesn't really to totally exist now but we had a blending bar with over 150 pure distillations of essential oils so you could buy essential oils by the drop like people would come in with like a little recycled bottle and they'd buy a drop of neroli or rose because those can be over a dollar drop and then i'd custom blend people's perfumes hmm. so we'd have this book and then people could come in and then get anything they want made and that was so fun too because we'd have like you know rock and roll people come in alia came in just after her marriage thing <laughs> to um you know, when she was 16, after it had gotten annulled and fun things like that. And yes. Alanis um, wanted to meet, come in, but we, so we made arrangements after a concert once. And then she was just like this kid in a candy store, just like in heaven, you know, it was so fun. I think she was like 19 at the time. That's so cool that you had the courage to, I mean, th th this is a concept that hadn't even been done before. I mean, you're really a pioneer in this space. <laughs> to have the courage to invest in something like that and say, Hey world, here's, here's welcome to my crazy world and my <laughs> mind and how all this stuff, you know, I'm imagining you concocting these brews with, you know, normal stuff with the skulls on it and like your own brews of all this. I mean, that took a lot of courage to do that. Where did that come from? Or how, was well, I think it takes courage and also like, it's good not knowing, you know, sometimes we, to really make those leaps, we need to not know the steps ahead of us. If that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but yeah, it was like, I remember I made a business plan. I like gathered, I remember I gathered, I think it was about $8,000 and then I got a loan to match it. Some special, you know, and then just really like it was, it was real. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. When you mentioned um, creating custom uh, scents and uh, perfumes and stuff. Yeah. How do you, how do you know what to match with somebody's uh, individual yeah. pheromones? That's a good question. I feel like I've always had that, but that was interesting when I had to start training people. You know yes. what I mean? I was like, oh, yes. can we train people on this? Because like, you know, it's a great concept in the beginning until you have to like sit there all day, every day and well, do you it. Have to, you have to take your art and turn it into a science. Yeah, and then, yeah, and explain it. It's kind of weird, but really it's, that is a hard one. I do, I have in my book, Renegade Beauty, I do map out as much as I can. I feel like the science of blending, but then also adding in as much intuitive process as you can, even though that's even challenging to explain. Um, for me, what I understood too, is I seem to also have this natural synesthesia, which is a com combining of senses that uh, like for me, it's like, I didn't know, I didn't know this at first. I thought everybody thought like that, but like um, every word or thought in my head has color. Yes. For, so for some people it's like sound and shape or like, so it's different sensory, sensory expressions, but it's usually the combining of two senses. And so blending for me is kind of like painting and mixing colors. Mm. And so is then the person there's like a whole color thing. And so I feel like I can pretty much blend without even smelling. Of course, I'll smell it, Yeah. of course, along the way. But I really can. It's like so much of what's created is really all done here. And then it's like really that the whole manifest form of the creation is really that last 1% where you're like in the physical just going, yep, yeah, ba, 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 That's so fascinating. So can you break down a little bit of what you put in your book? Like how did you distill that, uh, no pun intended, yeah. into, <laughs> no, into a categories that the, the layman person could start to better understand so that 
they could recreate it themselves. That's a good, good point. Um, yeah. And I love that you said distill because actually like in one part of my book, I'm like, this book is the distillation of my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all here. The book's really quite comprehensive. I sh- we should send you a copy. Um, love that. Thank you. I think, I think I, I got a check, but it's like four or 500 pages with like over 500 ci- ci- citations. And I love, cause we're also, I'm into, you know, we're into the creating a new paradigm here and we've got to undo some of the things that we've been learning you know, for the last millennium or last 50 years. So I also really love bringing in science. And I do find that there's a part of science or physics that can get quite cosmic and poetic. I like, I love the work of Buckminster Fuller, because if you, if you look at any of his books, there's the really cool ones with drawings, but then there's some that are just like this long poem. And, or like even, or to think about a roomy book. And it's just like, you're, you can get a whole universe in like a line sometimes through, poetic use so kind of like so they kind of join up I forgot what was going oh yeah and so then the books it's like a whole journey I really kind of start broad and because it's called it's called renegade beauty and of course beauty isn't something that we apply to ourselves and it's not you know it's not a, a not it's not like a petroleum cream that we buy at the drugstore and nor is it really a beautiful cream that I'm creating on one level it's really about like it's about your relationship to the cosmos and really engaging with what's going to replenish us, what's going to resource us. And to, for me, I feel like that's in our engagement with the elements of the universe. Mm. So, you know, enjoying the sunshine, getting fresh air, bathing and being around water, and then, you know, enjoying the fruits of the earth to feed and care for our bodies. Mm. And that's how we're going to actually get refreshed, right? Mm. Not, and mm-hmm. so, so there's, we go broad and then really into space so many specifics because like whether so there's a whole chapter on skincare there's a whole chapter on like being in the sun and what's the history and is it okay and why do we have thousands of vitamin d receptors all over our body and is that connected to the immune system um there's a chapter on pregnancy and childbirth and breast health so it's definitely a lot of men read it but there's definitely we're highlighting some special things for women because there's a you know, we've got some different plumbing, so to speak, that we need to know, learn about. Yes. And then there's a chapter on perfumery. There's a chapter on alchemy and blending. Then there's like a whole section on here's some do-it-yourself recipes. Then there's this whole Renegade Beauty Solutions, where it's more of a quicker A to, a to Z of like, you know, acne, air travel, weight, like hair, thyroid, estrogen, hormones, birth control, like all the things. Because I've really, since I had opened my store you know, I've gotten, you know, thousands and thousands of questions over the years on, um, you know, on health, health for the body, dental health, beauty, skin, what's this rash, what's this mole. And so I really feel like I understand, you know, the current things, issues that people or imbalances that people are having with their bodies. And even though there is a lot of information right now, it's a lot to wade through. There's a lot of BS. And so, you know, uh, I'll, you know, having this book hopefully is a guide to, to steer through some of that. Do you have, um, is there any scientific data that uh, validates some of the, some of these applications? Absolutely. I have like, again, there's over 500 cita- citations. They're not every single one of them is a scientific study, but yeah, we're quoting the New England Journal of Medicine, Cochrane Reviews, 
always bringing in the science. I mean, I even have this sort of a rhyming rap on the hazards of fluoride and like every other word has a footnote that goes to the study. <laughs> it's, it's like a kind of a poem about the side effects. And then I just footnote every single side effect. So I didn't know I was interviewing a rapper. This is, <laughs> this is you're elevating the game here. <laughs> my husband's a musician, and he uh, he turned my one of my sort of talks on the sun on sunshine into a into a a, a kind of a rap dance song. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I would ask you to perform it, but I don't. Want to <laughs> yeah. I'll get him to perform it. <laughs> yeah, you need you need your backup singers. Not yeah. Um, you mentioned um some of the things that we need to unlearn. What are some of the common things that the average person or the average woman, I guess, with your, yeah. your clientele is, I would presume. It's a lot of women, but we have a lot, we have a great cadre of men too. They're, do you, you know. Do you do colognes as well? Or well yeah, do you- we do colognes, uh, male, de- you know, male deodorants, masculine deodorants, um, ways for men to wash their face, uh, beard oils. Uh, we have really a best can ever that will take care of all of that. And then we even have a Shiva lingam serum that would be for the male region. Okay. <laughs> what, <laughs> and what, we is, have, what does that do, dare I ask? Well, it's just nice. It's like just helps to care for the skin in that area. And you can really use it anywhere, but it is really designed for the area. And even has, we have infusions of Tonkat Ali, which is a nice um, male herb. And uh, yeah, it's just gorgeous for that area. Mm, we made a lot of yoni serums, which is for the female uh, which really help prepare for birth, help after the birth, and also just help because there can be a lot of wear and tear on the yoni, so to speak, from yeah. just even like the the toilet, the chemicals we have in toilet paper, or like wearing polyester underwear, and you know all that kind of stuff. So there is care for those areas that we want to do too, but we also don't want to fall into the path of. Um, actually, I was just sharing this with my son because the word it was on a show um, came up like somebody was calling somebody else a douche. So it was kind of fun. We had this whole, I was like, oh, well, you know what that is? And so, and I'm like, oh my God, I've got to show you these ads from like the seventies on these summer's Eve douches and stuff. So we went into that. I showed him and then I read him from my book where I, t- I said, you know, what's so crazy leaf. They used to recommend, it was in the 1940s that women douche with Lysol. Oh, wow. And you can Google, do Google Lysol vintage ads they are horrifying. They're like literally like, oh my God, like, you know, the, the women's locked outside of the bedroom and just like my marriage is going to end because like, <laughs> I don't smell well. And like, that's it's like, just- <laughs> that's like Trump's version of beauty, uh, yeah. you know, hygiene. Yeah. yeah. And then they realized <laughs> that was too caustic and there was some deaths. So then Listerine said, Hey, use us. We're the gentler, softer disinfectant you know and so and then you know and then we're still left i mean summer's eve is still out there and the chemicals if you look at the label so i dissect the labels on those things talk about why they're not healthy and like literally like that could be a root cause of infertility because what we're also understanding now is that there's a whole microbiome we all know about the gut microbiome which is so key now we know it's like keeping us alive and you know, we really, what we have to unlearn is, you know, a lot from the forties and upwards with bacteria, 
really up until about 10 years ago, it was just like kill all the bacteria. It's like germ warfare theory. And now we know we can't have this kind of scorched earth policy because we need the microbes. We're actually missing microbes. We're mutating microbes with our overuse of antibiotics. And a lot of our daily hygiene stuff, whether it's the alcohol mouthwash, the triclosan and toothpaste, the toxic, really harsh um, cleansing soaps, what we now know is that it's all affecting our microbiome and literally causing species of beneficial bacteria to either mutate or become extinct. And we actually need those to function and we need the bacteria. We have a huge microbiome on our skin and we actually need bacteria and sebum and a few dead skin cells left there for the back the good bacteria to eat and to thrive and so a lot of what we've been doing we actually kind of need to stop step back and just like not do it it doesn't have to mean we have to replace everything it kind of just means we got to give it a break and we have to let the bacteria be the beautician of our body you know let it take care think of all the things we don't ask our body to do every night you don't go to bed and then be like okay liver do this and then i want my blood pumping and then i'm hoping i'm going to breathe so we got to give up a little bit of what we've been marketed to, to control. Mm. It's such an interesting time to better understand our bodies, obviously with the whole um, COVID pandemic right now and, and better understanding how we can, you know, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about immune systems lately, which is great because yes, we need to keep our social distance. Yes, we need, but if you have a shitty immune system, uh, if your defenses are down, you know, why not, mm-hmm. why not reinforce uh, a strong immune system? So what are some of the things that you've learned from a health perspective that will boost our immune system? Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel like really at the heart of everything that's in the book or in my holistic dental book is really a love song for the immune system. Mm-hmm. Because we really have been in this strange thing where we've been told to care for this way. Like, I just mean that standard, like brush your teeth, you know, just that standard North American here's how you care for your body. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, whether it's the parabens that are still trapped in breast tissue or the endocrine disruptors or the toxins that our liver and kidneys like have to process every day, which are all taking a toll on the immune system. It's like you can, so we can let go of that, maybe find neutral ground, but like, why not then even elevate it and even have what you're putting on your body boost your immune system be friendly to all the good bacteria, you know? So it's like, we've got to elevate it. And so really everything that we're doing or thinking or putting on and around our bodies really can be this elevation, including how I was talking about engaging with the elements in fresh air and, you know, needing that vitamin D from the sun. So let's re-examine our relationship to the sun. You know, why there's this beautiful poem by Hafiz that's something like, you know, the sun has been my lover for millions of years. And we want to go back to also trusting the design of our bodies and not letting the interpreter of marketers on, you know, Madison Avenue be that filter for how we want to care for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been... <sighs> Not to be devil's advocate. I mean, I guess to some degree, I, this per- perspective That's might right. be, I mean, I'm a, I'm a novice to a lot of this, but um, we are in an age right now where the globe is 
more than it ever has been before. It is being fed. It, it, like we are making innovations and, and are able to scale uh, agriculturally to feed and, and make sure everybody has clean water. So there's a lot of benefit, I think, to, to the science. And, and maybe that does come from GMOs and, and other things of that nature. But then there's this whole other paradigm that you're talking about that I really uh, feel subscribed to as well, which is like, at what nutritional cost are we, you know, um, creating these economies of scale for, mm. for food and all that? So is there, I guess my question is, is can we take what you're talking about and go mm. and, and, and approach things from an, an organic perspective, but do that at scale so that the average person can afford to Absolutely. I, I, I mean, obviously it's a huge subject, but I really feel like, uh, and I've seen, I've like really studied food security for a long time on a global level. I, not so much, but really like being interested in that and seeing how these things could be solved. And yeah, we've got to bring in science with like even older techniques. But when we see, when we look at, when we look at sort of that middle ground of farming, which was sort of from the forties till kind of now, it's like, it really changed things. And now we're learning a lot of this stuff didn't work and isn't for the long term, like monocropping. So then we lose diversity in soil microbes and topsoil erosion. Like there's nothing efficient about that at all. Then you Sorry. What is monocropping? Oh, like single. So there's a whole, like, right. Like hectares of corn. Right. It's not working for anybody. Um, and then, then you've got food that's getting less and less nutritious, like literally because there's no microbes in the soil and the minerals are depleted from the soil. So then you've got corn that doesn't have, and I'm just using general examples, but it doesn't have the same amount of magnesium and phosphorus. So that's one issue. And obviously GMOs is a huge thing, but you know, there are arguments that it's efficient, but really at its core, there's a core, there's a false premise there because what the GMOs do or Roundup is that, and that's, and this is why they say it's safe. They say it's safe because it doesn't affect the shikimate pathway. And that's, this is like a pathway that's in bugs and like, well, like creatures and bacteria. Hmm. So it's only affecting that it's, it's, it's okay for animals and humans. But the thing is we are chock full of billions of bacteria. So as much as I have billions of cells in my body, I have billions of bacteria. We now for sure know that. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those billions of bacteria have a shikimate pathway. Mm. So we are disrupting the core of how we function, which is with our microbiome. So the glyphosate, and that's been studied, the, the toll that glyphosates are having on our gut health, on our immune system is, is tragic because it's making things like microscopic, microscopic perforations in the gut lining. And when that happens, you've got things leaking into the, into the bloodstream that aren't supposed to be there, like mm-hmm. proteins and waste matter from bacteria because they also have their own excrement. Yes. It's all microscopic. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, can the globe is there is there capacity to feed properly yes. billions of people i think it just kind of like on one simple level it kind of just needs to be reorganized mm. you know and mm. we need to get uh smaller pockets and and you know feed from smaller areas and and have diversity and soil diversity i think one thing that we're generally learning in general is like we need that diversity we need our microbiomes diversity we need soil diversity we need seed diversity we need planting diversity 
we need we can't mono and homogenize our people or the cultures or the food it's like when we used to have like I'm, i don't know the numbers but a hundred varieties of apples and now there's like 20 main seeds you know that's like we're losing culture like we're making things extinct and we just we thrive on that micro diversity yeah that's fascinating i i mean i know that the i know that a lot of this is profit driven and um, you know, to, or the simpler you have, the simpler product you have, the simpler, um, you know, distribution chain and, and all that you can drive out a lot of cost, And then you can therefore, you know, if, if I'm coming from this, from a purist standpoint or from a um, altruistic standpoint, I could say, Oh, I could feed more people. I can, you know, do more good in the world. And, and I think there are people genuinely that are seeking to do that, but at the same time, sort of like what I was saying before, how much are we losing? And is it really ultimately the long-term healthiest mm -hmm. approach? I have found in my own personal uh, health journey that I have opened my eyes a little bit, not nearly as much as what you know, which is why I find this so interesting, <laughs> uh, to find out where the deficiencies are. And I go, wow, that, you know, why am I feeling so sluggish today? Why am I, why do I have a cold right now? Why do I do this? And then I realize, and I've done I've had some people on the podcast where he's real, where they've really illuminated, you know, Oh, well, you're very, you know, you're, you're, uh, chron what's the word I'm looking for? Um, clinically deficient of, you know, vitamin D or dehydrated or just simple things. Mm -hmm. that when we grew up, when I grew up, I'm 44 now, like when I grew up, there was a lot of that in the food already. Yes. We don't. My ex-wife is from Guatemala and I've been down there many times and the food, when I go out to eat down there, is bursting with flavor has so much and i'm like man what what's different you come here and you have food here in america and it's like there's just it's so bland and we don't well, it comes out of this need to control like oh it's like nature's too varied and there's too many what if the strawberries that way or one year it's like pink instead of red and so it's neat because i can see how the human brain wants to do that they want to be like no, we got to standardize it and grow it and expect the same and then have the, and then it's also, it is profit driven. Like, like even with animals, right? It's like, how can we feed them and what can, what pharmaceuticals can we give them so that before they're slaughtered, they're at their fattest thing. Like, you know, cause that's going to create more money per pound of meat, but then we're feeding them uh, antibiotics because they fatten up. They literally uh, create like obesogens and then we've got pharmaceuticals with mycotoxins because that's what amps up the weight, you know, and now we're finding mycotoxins in our urine and then it goes on and on. Or the foods that's grown in the shadows of factory farming and pesticides, literally the photosynthesis of a plant is not effect as effective with, with um, sorry, pesticides on it. And then we've got all these factory farm animals that have, are no access to sunshine and they're supposed to be eating grass. So that egg you're eating or the butter, that's supposed to be from a chicken that ate grass and grubs and the cow is supposed to be eating the grass. And then you get all that vitamin D and K2 in the milk that then makes this beautiful yellow butter. But that cannot happen at all when there's no sun. Yes. So once it gets the sun, so important. And then what we also know right now is that most, a lot of diseases are happening because of a vitamin D deficiency. We have over 3000 studies that show a whole bunch of things. Like if a mother's depleted in vitamin D, that her child, if she's pregnant, her child could have a risk of juvenile diabetes. Or if we now know that if your vitamin D levels are sufficient, 
then your breast cancer rate is slash slash by half. And that's got to be, you got to be brimming with vitamin D3 in your, in your vitamin D receptors. And that can come from the sun. Luckily we do supplement, but all those foods fortified with vitamin D, like the kids cereals and baby foods, that's vitamin D too. Mm. That doesn't even affect your, your vitamin D receptors. So we, and then, and again, if it's normal standard eating, you're not getting any eggs, milk or butter or anything that has the K2 vitamin D3 content. Mm. And what we also know about that, not only is it amazing for the immune system, it's also key at driving minerals into the bones. So they act as these ushers and they, they, they signal to the calcium and magnesium, come to the bone, don't stay floating around in the blood serum. And we need that for te teeth, teeth and to prevent tooth decay. And that was happening like at the turn of the century, like at the beginning of the 19th century, because um, coming out the 1800s, we're moving to cities. And then all of a sudden people started uh, getting less sunlight. You know, they're not like field laboring anymore. And there was a lot of vitamin D deficiency D diseases at that time, like uh, rickets and scurvy. Well, not sorry, it's not scurvy, tuberculosis. Um, I can't think of them all right now. <laughs> um, yeah. And that then um, in Europe, they started creating these uh, clinics for sun, basically sunbathing hospitals up in the Alps. And they had so much success. It was like in the 1920s, it became this like worldwide phenomenon. Like, oh my God, you know, they go to this wow. with the Alps and, and there's, you can also Google photos of that, which is, I love because it's so neat to see. It's like this hospital with like verandas and everybody's in beds on the verandas and kids are out in the snow with like these kind of like diapers on and they're all getting tan. And you can see people like before and afters where the kids, they're kind of like, like all like, you know, they have those, uh, what disease? They had these wounds. I mean, it was from tuberculosis. Anyway, and they, were, they didn't have straight spines and their bones were slightly deformed. And then they, a year later, and they're like, it's black and white, but you can see that they're tanned and they're all like perky, bones are erect, and it's, it's phenomenal. That's so fascinating. I had a blood chemist on the podcast a little oh. while ago, and he was talking about how you can almost look at diseases increasing the further north you went because they had yeah. less sunlight. Yeah. And they just, they were vitamin D deficient. You mentioned a minute ago how um, some of these baby cereals and things like that have quote unquote vitamin D in them, but they're mm -hmm. not, help me understand why is that oh, not giving- You know, and it's like fortified with, you yeah. know, like, you know, whatever, cocoa, I'm making this up, but like cocoa puffs would be like fortified with blah, blah, blah. So when they fortify with vitamin D in standard food products, it's D2, not vitamin D3. And D3 is the magic one. And that's what we get when we are sunbathing. And if we don't have sunscreen on, then it's the UVB rays that create the vitamin D. So suns, what sunscreen does, besides it's uh, usually got a lot of chemicals that will have other issues like endocrine disruption, it actually splits the rays. It separates UVA from UVB, then you're only receiving UVA and UVA on its own actually causes sun damage. So we need them, you know, to be together to get that UVB and Whoa. then we're getting all the D. So sunscreen is a net negative. Yeah, it's, wow. it's kind of this false premise. And then what's cool in the book, I do, I cite studies that show, you know, like there's a Cochrane Reviews, which they... They amalgamate studies and then kind of create a new one. 
And uh, so I think they, they pulled together about 14 studies. And, you know, to summarize in general, it showed that the use of sunscreen created, uh, you know, higher risk of cancer and more moles and freckles. Mm -hmm. And then on another study, it showed that I think this was in the New England Journal of Medicine, that the closer you were to the equator, the more recreational sun time you had, yes. the less chance of melanoma. Mm. And then it seemed like people that were higher at work, risk worked under fluorescent lighting. Now, why do you live in Canada? <laughs> well, <laughs> I was born here, <laughs> for starters. And then I just... Um, when Ron and I met, it was all like, where do you want, you know, he's like, where should we live and stuff? And I, and he was like, let's run away, you know, in those early romantic times. And I was like, yes. let's live where we want to run away. Yeah. And then, you know, we had a lot of thoughts and always, there's always a tropical Island fantasy. Um, but it's like this part of Canada where I had spent so much time, like going to camp and stuff. I was just like, it's so magical and, and we can travel. Canada is magical. I've been up there once and just even the Northern United States in certain areas. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, it, I don't even know how to explain it. There's so many of my friends that had gone up to um, Northern Michigan every oh, summer. Oh yeah. That's and, like similar to the texture of, of the yes. flora and fauna here. Well, there, and there's such a, there's such a different um, vibe. Like it takes me, it literally, I, there's like a 48 hour detox where I have to unplug from normal quote unquote civilized society and get into the rhythm of a it's a slower rhythm and at first i'm always like what am i gonna do all summer we used to go up there every summer oh summer that's like our prime time that's like oh, to me summer. i'm like nowhere in the world do i want to be except here in the summer it's, it's it's the same thing when i go out into the mountains or i yeah. you know I, go, or I reconnect to nature and there's a part of me that goes wait why am i doing this and then the second i align with that uh rhythm i'm like yeah. why would i go back this is so healing and so fulfilling this you just there's a depth to it that you just don't yeah. get yeah. in the go 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 you know yeah modern lifestyle totally. um have you studied native american culture at all not really no i mean you know i've read yeah. things and stuff but i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't say there's a lot of um there's a lot of overlap. I went to a survival school a few mm. years ago um, and they were teaching a lot about um, plants. There's a, we, we did a whole thing on plants and, nice. and the different utilitarian uses, the medicinal value to them, the, which ones were edible, which ones weren't. Um, and uh, it'd be kind of interesting to hear you uh, converse with some of the experts in yeah. I mean, when I go into play, yeah, I love learning the history of, yeah. When I go into a plant, how to, if, if it's grown in many places around the world for a while, it's like, Oh yeah. How are they using the Mediterranean? Oh, how are, how are our people here and native Americans using it? And you just, it's just so neat, you know, whether they were, you know, making poultices out of the bark or like making a tea and it's just fascinating. Yeah. Um, you talked about the Egyptian, like some of the, the, the can you, Give me a little more education. Yeah. That's, that's so that was really, when I read that, it was just such a perk, like one of those moments. And uh, I really, it was really neat for me too, because my great grandfather, who I didn't meet, I did know my great grandmother, because she was like mm. so much younger. I think she was about 30 years younger. Oh boy. Um, so he was, <laughs> he was pretty old in the 1800s, but he was the president of the London Egyptology Society which is kind of radical. And then he also went on archeological digs as the illustrator. So he was this artist and like, he was even on ones with Howard Carter. And that, so that was just so neat. And um, I, I had this painting, uh, we had a fire, so it's 
burnt now. Uh, but that's another story. But anyway, he, I had this original and it was, uh, he drew from studying ISIS somewhere in Egypt and it had the original frame from the 1800s, which had these gold wings on it. I have a picture of it. Luckily, I took a picture of it about a week before we had the fire. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So it's great. I actually put it in my book just because I'm like, look, I got to save it. Right. We got, I have a picture. It has to be like in the world. And it was so gorgeous. And it was just, he was so realistic with his watercolors. Mm -hmm. And then I also grew up with his paintings of, he did like one of Luxor. And yeah, so that was just, I just had a real resonance with that. And it's such a fascinating culture because it was also, you know, it was ancient world glamour. You've got Cleopatra and she's like got, she has a still room. Like she doesn't have a bathroom. She had a room where they would distill fresh her rose waters and floral waters and, Really? You know, then they're burning myrrh at noon to like praise the sun. I'm like, it's so juicy, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. What, so um, what happened with the fire? What? Oh yeah, so we, well, it was uh, 2013. In 2013, in August, we, our, everything blew, blew, burned down. We were, luckily, we had our uh, home and, and then our business kind of as like one thing, because again, we're out in the woods and it was growing. And so we made, cabins to live in because because we had our, everything there and we were starting to build our new headquarters on our land because we have uh, a few acres so luckily we were safe in the cabin um but yeah woke up to just a huge explosion sound it was already like i don't know 30 feet high sort of like 20 percent gone like moving towards a house and it was just so it's like one of those moments too, where it's just, you know, it's, there's nothing when you're met with something so much bigger than yourself mm -hmm. and uh, it all went up, you know, liters and liters of frankincense and sandalwood. And my mother had died about six months prior and I had all of her heirlooms and this great grandfather, his paintings. And then my grandmother was an artist. And I mean like family photos and the, Hard. I mean, everything went. Oh, the tragic. Yeah. I can't even imagine having to sit there and see that. Um, yeah. How do you recover like, from that? Yeah. Well, that was the thing too. I was like, fuck. You know, like, I, I kind of, I kind of felt like, oh my god, I gotta. I, do I have to recreate like the last twenty years of my life? Um, but then you realize you don't because it's like every material part of our business went up in flames, but we still had. Uh, you know, the love of libations, the love of what we do. And uh, we st I still had all my, luckily I email my, I have my formulas, thank God. But there was a few that I, that I hadn't put there yet. But anyway, um, you know, so luckily, I don't know, it all came together and we had our, you know, our team pull it together, but we just didn't, you know, it was crazy. And I don't know how, you know, it was, it was a bit of a blurb. I don't even know how we got functioning again, but we were, sending orders out like a month later you know our friend gave us this place in town and you know all the all these things lined up but it was really intense because we also it's not a simple we know it's not just a simple operation where we make one thing and have like two raw materials we have like over 300 raw materials and they're all very real like there is geopolitical forces and growing conditions that sometimes create issues and and it was august so in june june's a really juicy buying month for distillations because a lot of the, you know, like roses are ready in June, the, the Immortal, 
neroli's ready and and so those are some of the heavy hitters there's some that they can distill all year round but we literally buy out our distillers like that's our reserve for the year you know and so and i mean a liter of rose oil is like twenty thousand dollars and there's like 10 of them wow just offered up to the ethers wow yeah uh, you know what? So uh, I grew up in manufacturing. My father and uncles were manufacturers, and I'm I'm really curious how you've managed. I have two main questions for you. The first one is, you're such a creative, uh, innovative artist, um, and I know that that sometimes can can have trouble being confined and and structured and you know goal oriented. But it seems like. I mean, you've found the perfect marriage of that creative energy and the structure in order to actually create a business with that. So that's my first question. Uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll ask you the second question after that. But how, how did you find, how did the artist in you um, create a business and, and yeah. create a thriving business? Because that's very um, difficult for very creative. Uh, yeah, those are good questions. I feel like, I feel like what I'm always, whatever my form was, uh, I like form and function. So I really like, I mean, I love a painting, but what I'm doing, I love to even not just, you know, paintings have purposes, but I just really have that urge to create something useful. So there's a bit of that, but for what it's worth, I'm, I'm an Aquarian with a Virgo rising. Mm. So, you know, the, the dreamer and then the full on, you know, I can make a spreadsheet, but I'll make it really colorful. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that might so, be the perfect yeah. metaphor to have better understand uh, how you've been able to do this. I think there is a thing though where you take your passion because definitely when I discovered essential oils and like then being for the first time I loved them and then when I was able to kind of rediscover them at 18 and, and have more agency in my life. I definitely just wanted to like, you know, I'm like, I just need to inhale essential oils all day long. Like this has to be it. And then you go through that journey of like taking your passion and then putting all these structures around it where it's at some point you're going to have to, you know, it's going to involve lawyers and insurance and all these things. And that can be a thing to walk through. But if you are turning your passion into work, um, you're going to have to hit, go through that, that world and come out the other side at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very rare um, uh, achievement to be able to navigate that and get to that, which is it's awesome to to. Better. Well, and now the great thing is I have like you know our team, and then we all then you know skills get replicated, and then people even bring in new strengths, and then that's really fun too. Yeah, um, how big a team do you have? Uh, it's about fifty. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and the business is are you still the hundred percent owner of the business? Yes. Okay. That's pretty cool too, that you've been able to bootstrap it from the oh, beginning. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's where, I've lost your face. Hold on. Uh -oh. I don't know how to get it back. Where did my face go? I don't know how to get it. <laughs> and I missed it. <laughs> oh, I know, it's so important. Communication, you gotta be, we gotta be able to see each other. Well, did I didn't, but I'll just, as I don't wanna lose you either. Okay, well, you can meditate on my voice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm, uh, that's a pretty big team. So um, can you give me an idea? How long has the business been in? When did you well, start? Yeah, well, I had the store and then, you know, left that. So then it was sort of that new, I kind of took this year off and then was really like, you know, how do I want to go forward? You know, but of course I wanted to be with the plants and everything because I had quite a run sort of 
going to university and then starting this up. And I really knew I wanted to live in the country. So here we are. And I met Ron. And so that's sort of like when a new phase of, mm -hmm. of what we do got created. Um, but we really like to keep a lot of what we do sort of like in house. So we do like our own carpentry, we build our own furniture. Um, you know, oh, like so cool. we built this new headquarters, um, it, you know, from the fire. So we finally got to get that built. We've won environmental pioneer awards in its construction. Um, we do all our own shipping, you know, we make every single thing. Um, so we really like to keep it, you know, fruitful and, uh, so I think in one level, we kind of create more jobs because we're not contracting a lot of them out, even though outsourcing is something that's really easy to do these days. Mm -hmm. um, do you have uh, pictures of the, of the headquarters online? Yeah. So I, there's some on our website, of course, and then also on Instagram. Uh, I made a little video of it and you can kind of see it in context of, of our whole land. I do. We did some drone footage and stuff as well. Oh, that's so cool. I'm going to have to check that out. What yeah, were the really beautiful? What were the awards that you won? Oh, okay. like an environmental construction award and a passive solar design. Uh, you know, we didn't go with the classic lead or different ones because we found that that's like, we actually wanted to go above and beyond that. And then it seems like for some of the certifications, you pay a big fee, mm -hmm. but you could use that money and actually make it better, you know, maybe not get to hang the lead plaque on the wall but uh kind of take things further so yeah, yeah we had we totally did new construction that hasn't been done before in canada um in you know we definitely get uh, a hardy winter here and we're able to turn off our heat by february because of the heat we're able to retain and create with the passive solar that we set up what is passive solar How so passive solar yeah just really so obviously there's solar panels and that's right. a whole thing which is great but can be you know sometimes that, that if we were to set up solar panel it would have been probably like half the cost of what it took to get the building up mm -hmm. so it couldn't have been a first priority plus i feel like there's got there's so much more that needs to be fine-tuned with that like you know i don't want to cut down an acre of trees to put in a field of solar panels there was enough on the roof you know there's all these things so we love solar but still feel it needs to improve a lot but passive solar is just literally you architect the building to maximize sun use. And so we did our design and then we had the architectural drawings go over to Europe to be processed through the passive solar committee group, something <laughs> over there. Okay. And they, they would take those drawings, put them through their special computers. Then we're getting the right, like literal, like degrees where we want it you know, on the bed, like where the foundation will be to, to how it meets the sun. And then it's very mathematical about, you know, how many windows you can have on the north side and then how many are facing this side and then the quality of the windows. Our windows are like Rolls Royces. <laughs> They're so well made. We got them shipped over from Europe. Um, you know, you can't have like a bar in the middle of the window, like, you know, those dividers, because there's, mm -hmm. there's heat loss there, for example. Wow. Um, so we had to really look at all the energy um, use and then build the passive so you know there was this whole engineering to this that was pretty intense wow that's so cool yeah that is so neat i could i could geek out on that alone for <laughs> yes um you uh, you've been able to create this incredible business you've been able to share your passion and make a significant impact with your with your customer base um so it's very clear that you're very like your energy to me and is you have, you're very ambitious and you're driven and you're passionate and you have a sense of what you want to create. And yet at the same time, you have maintained a, 
a glow and a femininity about you. And I, and I bring this up because I speak to a lot of uh, women entrepreneurs and they struggle with how do I bring my, how do I maintain my femininity in such a male dominated environment? And not even just when I'm with men, but these are business owners themselves who can create the reality of their own, you know, they can create their own environment, their own reality. And there's, there's such a masculine energy required to build a business. How do you maintain your femininity in all of well, that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's definitely um, something I feel like I am always growing into too. And I just feel like sort of as I grow, I sort of become even more of a, more of a woman. I don't, I don't really know what that means, but I just feel like it's like a gift that kind of keeps on giving. How's that? Yes. Um, but definitely I'm very much into creating, I just feel like I'm creating my own realms, creating my own worlds and kind of create, you know, creating my own rules for those realms, mm-hmm. um, for one. And, um, on one, I actually don't feel that ambitious or goal driven because I literally don't function with goals. I work through inspiration, mm. which, cause I think, you know, goal that kind of, there's a thing with goal drivenness that is masculine yes you know it's not like males do it but it's a masculine trait yes and so i feel like every everything's coming from within and then out and i feel like it's that inward realm and that intuition that that's the foundation of everything so i think the feminine aspects are just so inherent that Mm -hmm. you know something like that yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting response. Um, I'm very, I'm very inspired by that. Like, I, I think that we need more. Uh, I think, a, I think a lot of times women um, don't bring their gifts to that to that um, space into the workspace, and I find that some of the most effective counseling and and consulting and business um, partners that I've had are women because they do what you're talking about and there's an intuition there that they really honor and that they bring into the work and they're willing to to metamorphize depending on what the situation needs and and anyway it's it's that's a whole nother track that i could get into but um i wanted to ask you i was before i said i had two questions for you the second question was how do you maintain this business when you're dealing with such variables with your raw materials? Mm. Um, and you know what I mean? Like it's almost like a, a winery and you're dependent upon the, the yield of the grape. Like you yeah. just don't know. How do yeah, you- absolutely. Absolutely. And I've got to like, there's definitely been moments or like, Oh my God, we gotta, we gotta buy a lot of this now. Um, but like, really? considering this the the few decades it's like wow we've really been great we've really been able to keep things consistent so first of all it's like also about knowing a few distillers you know so we have a, a, a we have our faves but then we also have like our faves that are just right you know it's still the same quality maybe we just like that company more or whatever but we so all over the world those are and these are relationships that i developed way back in university a lot of them it's a lot of beautiful families, a lot of second, third generation distillers. So we really have like full, you know, beautiful relationships with our, our producers of raw materials, which is really great. But even as the business owner, that's obviously something I also had to train somebody in or share that, share that care and responsibility. 
um, which also seemed there was times, you know, before I had more of a team where it's like, oh, how does how does that get translated almost back to where we started at the beginning of the interview with like, how do I teach somebody how to blend? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we just have beautiful people on our team and they've got really beautiful trained noses and they're able to help me maintain those relationships and that quality control. So it's really great. And, um, you know, I'm always just sort of, I'm working, I feel like I'm working with the gifts of the universe with earth. And so luckily I feel like, you know, I have, I'm able, I've just been guided and I really appreciate that guidance that I've had. Mm. Um, I want to ask you one sort of question and maybe tie this up in a beautiful bow. What is your vision for your customer base, for your, your clients that buy your products? What's your vision for them? What is your desire for them? Just like a desire of like, so they know we've got them and uh, you know, we've got their best interests at heart and for them to just, you know, people can really relax once they've discovered living libations, they can just be like, ah, oh. and they also get, not just like, oh yeah, this reads well on the web. You know, this seems like a good product. But I think when many of them open it, they just feel that it's it's vibrationally accurate as well. It doesn't just, you know, it's, it reads well. It's got beautiful ingredients. It smells good. And then they they get that other connection to the product. And then that really just takes care of the rest of the relationship. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, so for those that are interested in uh, maybe buying some of the product or finding out a little bit more about you. It's livinglibations.com. Mm -hmm. um, and then the name of the book, Renegade Beauty. Yeah. I've got um, um, Renegade Beauty and Holistic Dental Care. Holistic Dental Care. Can I, do you have another like two or three minutes? Yeah. I wanted to ask you real quick about the dental care stuff. <laughs> Open my mind to that because I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspectives because I know that you've probably <laughs> uh, lifted every rock and found every little nuanced thing because that's there's a lot of lift, mouth, lift, rocks to lift in our mouth. Like there's a lot that we have to unlearn there too. Um, gosh, what's the quick, like just also, I guess that's another area where we could sort of stop, you know, look at like, we, there's a lot of things that we're doing every day that are disrupting the microbiome in our mouths. And that's a very key microbiome, obviously connected to the guts. And um, we do have great resources. Like I have eight steps that really help to turn anybody's mouth around. If you haven't been to the dentist for a while, you can do this for three months and then go. Most likely you'll have a better, shorter, less expensive appointment. Mm -hmm. um, we also do consultations for beauty or health or dental. So you can email us. And um, yeah, even if, even if you just stopped everything that you're using in your mouth and then just switch to simple, beautiful baking soda for the rest of your life, you would be far, far, far better off than brushing with things like sodium lauryl sulfate and triclosan and synthetic alcohols. Hmm. Um, wow, that's interesting. So uh, is the biggest um, thing that we're doing that's harming our mouths due to the toothpaste or is it more food oriented or? Uh, well, it's everything. I mean, definitely, you know, there's a diet. Again, we don't want to be deficient because uh, the health of our teeth really is nutrient dependent. The brushing and care is really, uh, you know, it come, we got to take care of our teeth internally and externally. Mm -hmm. So, and then we've also really got to proceed with caution uh, with dentists and dental procedures. And um, if dental work does need to be done, then you for sure need to go to an innovative, educated dentist that does more biological dentistry uh, because 
a lot of what people on the planet really need to be doing is undoing some previous dental work or cleaning things up. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely some dental decisions can, can really uh, seem simple in the moment, but leave you with issues like 30, 40 years down the road. Yes. That is not a fun place to no. screw up. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh man. Um, well, Nadine, this has been such an enlightening conversation. I'm, I'm uh, honestly, I'm humbled by it because I, you know, I wasn't sure really where this was going to go. I'm like, ah, perfumes. Can go like, anywhere. <laughs> yeah. What I can even ask you, but you've just filled my mind with so many different um, ideas and inspirations. Uh, and so thank you for that. And I, uh, again, it's been an honor talking to you. It's livinglibations.com. Uh, Nadine, again, thank you. Thank you.